Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Commune Podcast. Tonight, we're going to be discussing first-person shooter Dusk. This is our second episode on Dusk, and we'll be talking about the map design and the subject of arenas. I'm your host, yourself, and with me, I have Golem. Hello. Shouty. Howdy. And Adrian. So, uh, we talked in our first episode about Dusk, just about the our broad impressions of the game, and, and we touched on a lot of different subjects, the weapons, the enemies, the uh, art design of the game, uh, and so this time we're going to get a little bit more into the details of the levels themselves. Uh, so if you haven't played Dusk, this probably is... It's either going to be a, an interesting introduction to the levels, or it, it might just go over your head entirely. Um, but we want to talk about it in the context of the history of first-person shooters. So Dusk being a game that was inspired by Quake and early third-person shooter, or early 3D first-person shooters. Um, we want to talk about uh, the one of the defining level concepts of the first-person shooter, which is the arena. Um, I think the idea of an arena is not something that's clearly defined, and some things that feel like an arena to one person uh, may not to another. And so we'll be looking at some characteristics that may define an arena, but really the subject of the discussion is not to come to a really strict uh, definition of this one particular term, but to uh, investigate some of the uh, types of spaces that level design or map design in a first-person shooter can use. Um, so not everything is just, uh, you know, you can describe a game as one fight after another, but uh, beyond that, you need some... Uh, a little more sophisticated uh, terminology or, or knowledge to uh, characterize and understand the maps. So, Shouty, um, can you give me the dictionary definition of arena? The Oxford language's dictionary definition of an arena is a level area surrounded by seats for spectators in which sports, entertainments, and other public events are held. A place or scene of activity, debate, or conflict. Okay. Uh, So, do you think that that applies well to a first-person shooter? Can we use that for Dusk? Um, uh, Maybe only a little bit. No. Entirely, uh, in a loose sense. It's almost well, useless. <laughs> yeah. The really. I think the salient part of it is the the flats arena or the sorry, what was it? The level area. The yeah. level area that's surrounded by. Well, it says surrounded by seats for spectators in which sports, etc. are held. Surrounded by seats for spectators. Right. So, you know, there's not too many spectators uh, built into first-person shooter levels, but uh, 
the level area, certainly a level area that's surrounded is something that you could use and look for in first person shooters, right? Yeah, that's true. I guess implicit in that uh, definition is the idea of an enclosed space that is sits the seats surround something from which something to occur is its action occurring within, you know, a defined area. Right. I think that that is maybe the most useful part of the dictionary definition, that there's a border to it, essentially. Hmm. Uh, Golem, could you give your uh, intuitive definition of an arena? Uh, any space where more than one enemy can hit you. All right, and naturally... Well, I guess I should ask you, do you find that definition useful? Um, no. And the, I mean, I guess that's because intuitively, I think arena, um, is something that a designer might intend, but, uh, is really subject to emergence where, uh, depending, depending on the enemy behavior, you could make anything into an arena, especially in a game like Dusk where enemies just kind of go wherever they please. So, I think enemies going wherever they please is a point that I want to, uh, or that I want to come back to, but um, you said a designer might intend an arena, so you mean they might intend to have a space where multiple enemies can attack from yeah so if i'm uh, just to pick an example from last podcast you mentioned when you have the crossbow um you'll just you have the crossbow you come across a closed door you'll put a few shots through the door and uh, just to see if anybody's on the other side well uh david zemanski might put some possessed soldiers inside of a barn and then you go ahead and kill all the possessed soldiers before you even enter the barn well that's not much of an arena, is it? So you're saying that there's a... Uh, the permeability of barriers makes it impossible or makes it more difficult to set up what would be an arena. Yeah, and permeability there can... It's not literally just the crossbow going through walls. It can also be right. you open a door and you aggro a leather head and suddenly the Leatherhead is no longer in the house. Right. Uh, you can drag enemies, or enemies are not uh, confined by any barrier. Generally, the, the player is not, in the case of Dusk. Yeah. So, then, for your definition, it's important that the player and the enemies, or all the combatants, really it's the same point as the dictionary definition, that to meet your expectation, the player and the combatants need to be contained within the same boundary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Adrian, what would your intuitive definition of an arena be? So, the enclosed space is definitely one part of it. Um, I don't know how helpful it is to describe how it's not, but it's not, say, the 
you know, the Wolfenstein or even Doom set above, open a door, there's an enemy on the other side of the door, you shoot them and they're out of your way, or you round a corner and then you see three enemies around the corner and, you know, you get in a firefight with them. It's not quite that. Uh, it's something more like the ability to sort of like bunker down in a single spot where you gradually take them out or you back away past the past a door or around a corner like I would in something like Marathon. Um, like that that option there is not viable. So it's almost something more akin to like a Pac-Man maze where I can be flanked at any part of the maze. So while there may be advantageous positions that might want to stay in for a period of time, that position can always come under threat and require me to move to another spot. And that's sort of a uh, never stay in one place, kind of keep moving, kind of circuitous movement. Um, like, I know I'm describing it more by feeling than a that's like, fine. layout. But yeah, that's uh, what separates it. And Doom 2016 is a lot of that. So, t what you described in, like, Marathon, you're saying that that does meet the criteria of an arena, even though you can go into a corridor and go around a corner, the fact that the enemies can also follow around the corner or are connected to, well, do they need to be connected to the corridor from the other end? I mean, is are dead ends allowed in an arena? Right. Dead, dead ends are somewhat, it, it, that's kind of it. It's like the linearity or dead endness can be counter to what, what this, what feels like the arena uh, setup or gameplay challenge to me. Yeah. Cause that's, that's one of the things that, well, for one, characterize Dusk in, in its levels that we're going to be talking about, but also with a, I don't know why, Doom 2016, that's like, that's all that game freaking does. <laughs> and a lot of that game just has you constantly moving around because there is no position that you can really take without you risking being flanked from just like, uh, being flanked from your, from your side. Right. Um... So I, I think that, uh, like, also part of, you know, when you talk about defining it by feel or, like, how a dead end makes it less of an arena, I think that that's significant in that arena-ness is, like, a measure, basically. Like, this is a, a very clear arena would be a football stadium. Like, there's... uh in Duke Nukem 3D, the final map is a literal football stadium. And yeah. that meets as, or, or that is as clear an arena as uh, anyone could agree upon. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as you add uh, kinks to that, basically, it makes it maybe less explicitly an arena, but so you're saying, like, you know, if you add a corridor that leads off to the side and it's a dead end, well, that kind of is going to make it a lot less of an arena. Whereas if you add a corridor that loops around and mm -hmm. where uh, something can basically move in either direction through this circuit, then that is okay, and that would maintain a certain degree of arena-ness, even though it's not as 100% arena as a football stadium. It's still more of an arena than if it had a bunch of dead ends coming off of it. Yeah. 
And it's that capacity for enemies to uh, keep you in danger or to mitigate uh, your positional advantage. It's also why it's so effective in uh, a lot of the outdoor areas, because whether an enemy is two stories or three stories above you, if it's in an open space, well, it doesn't matter what side of the arena or what height on the arena you're in, they can still see you and shoot you. Right, so in that sense, like the flow of the space. Yeah, is that's a very good word for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the circuitousness is an important characteristic. My own intuitive definition would just be a space where you can see and shoot every spa- everything in it. Um, so pretty close yeah. to the dictionary definition. Um, just to, um, <clears throat> make sure I understand there, uh, thinking of E1M7 in particular, there's like, um, silos you can take cover behind and that would fail your definition because if I'm behind a silo I can't shoot everything right uh yeah pretty much I don't really think that you can or I mean what I like to call an arena I wouldn't really want structures in it but like that and again though going back to what I was just saying about Adrian's like <clears throat> it's a spectrum right so the structures don't in and of themselves necessarily break it so that I would say like, oh, this is a totally different kind of space because it has one silo in it. And that's completely different thing than uh, a football field. No, I wouldn't say that. But when you put a bunch of those structures in it and then they all have interiors to them and then there are enemies that uh, are stuck in the interiors and can't come out and then there are enemies that are stuck on rooftops that can't come down from the roof, then it's becoming less and less uh clearly an arena it's becoming a more complicated space basically and i think an arena is fundamentally maybe it's a measure of the simplicity of the space hmm. oh, or to me right that's what my definition would center around whereas adrian said it's more about flow to him yeah that uh that actually that complicated nature of the, the space uh i actually i probably would have uh, leaned into that one more Rather than its uh, simplicity. <laughs> well, yeah, you're not being graded on what your first response is. And I guess since everyone else got to give their own definition, and I made you read from the dictionary, uh, Shadi, what would your uh, intuitive definition of an arena be? I would have gone with what Adrian was talking about, in that if you're basically in need of being on the run from an enemy, then I consider that an arena. If you're If you're in an open... I guess a, an openish space, like a security space, and there are enemies that are coming at you, and you have to stay on the move. Then that would be an arena f- for me. Right. So you have to stay on the move, being pivotal there. Like you can't hide behind something indefinitely. Right. There, there yeah. can be structures to hide behind, but you have to basically open up yourself to enemy attack to um you know, to maintain the arena-ness I think that those definitions are uh, or, or focusing on the flow and you know needing to move and being pursued are especially relevant when you're talking about deathmatch arenas because that really is where the term 
like in terms of first person shooters, uh, arena is a very frequently used term to refer to deathmatch maps. Mm-hmm. So much so, the Quake Three, the deathmatch Quake, or the the one that's sort of centered on that is Quake Three Arena. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and I don't I don't know how specifically that game uh, popularized the term. I know the term existed and was being used in first person shooters before that game, but certainly after that game, um, the idea of a deathmatch arena was uh, common parlance. And I think that the deathmatchness of it is significant because deathmatches are symmetrical, right? Uh, every player is on the is supposed to be on the same ground, so yeah. n- not just literally the same ground, but it, you know, in the same uh, state. And when we talk about like real life or historical examples of arena, like a football stadium or the Coliseum or something, those also similarly are based on. Well, I guess usually based on symmetrical contests. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like once you get started moving in Erebus Reactor, there's no concept of this is my side, this is your side, and we're shooting at each other. That that quickly di- disappears. Right. And so the reason I say that is that I think that the enemy behaviors themselves, as you know, Golem was alluding to as well, like the way that the enemies interact with you, is part of what makes something more or less of an arena. And so Dusk's enemies being arena-friendly is part of why... Or that goes hand-in-hand with Dusk having more arena-style maps versus, like, Half-Life, which is something we talked about. Uh, Half-Life had been cited as a reference point for Dusk. Um... That is, or at least the most famous enemies from Half-Life are based around AI that take cover and do flanking maneuvers and stuff. And those are almost, that's a type of enemy that's almost specifically meant to always corner you. And that you need to fight by always cornering them. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they are not operating in the territory like the same way that you are <clears throat> I guess you're um if I had to think of a counterexample to characterize dusk it would be the uh, final boss arena with Jacob where uh, that's that boss shoots pretty quickly and there's no nothing to take cover behind and really you have to or I feel like you're pretty uh, incentivized to lean on your faster movement options uh, rather than avoiding a line of fire. Well, yeah, I mean, that is, you know, we talked about last time how that, I think we talked about last time, I know we've talked about at some point about how that is sort of like a deathmatch parody, that boss fight. Uh, so it is in a very simplified maximally simplified arena. Uh, so uh, let's move on to, to talking about some maps and some actual arenas that are in the game. And I guess we'll just go through, we've picked out a few. We're going to talk about E1M7, Dead of Night, 
E2M2, The Unseen, E2M3, Into the Thresher, E2M6, Erebus Reactor, and E3M8, <laughs> remind me of the name. As Above, So Below. As Above, So Below. I was actually, <laughs> right before we started recording, I was trying to do a Dusk Mare run of that one. Mm-hmm. And... Now, yeah, yeah, sorry. Go on. It's just a tidbit. It's like the there is a way to cheese that arena, you know, in the the path tunnel that leads to it. But it's still one that I like and want to talk about. So we talked about before. We all played the game uh, on slightly different settings, and like some of us did intruder mode or dusk mare or whatever. I don't think that that's that big a deal for this conversation because of the fact that in Dusk there aren't any extra enemies in higher levels of difficulty. The enemies are just more dangerous, essentially. So it does change the way the game plays, but when we're talking about the space and the layouts, the difficulty level, you get pretty much the same thing. You just need to use the space more effectively, basically when you're playing on the higher difficulties. So I did do E1... I think I did all of these on Dustmare except for E3M8. So let's start uh, with the earliest map, E1M7, Dead of Night. Uh, so, Golem, you picked this one out. What is the the notable arena that you picked this map for? So this, uh, you start out on a farm, basically. Um, and there's silos and barns and sheds and a house or two houses. Uh, and so the arena is basically all the farmland. Um, yeah. Okay. So how much of the map is walled? I mean, so you're saying basically the entire map is the arena. So is that one true. My interest in picking this one is that, like, um, the arena, the outer edges of the map are the outer bounds of the arena, but then there are inner bounds, like the different structures I mentioned, the silos, the house, etc., are all unto themselves, like, mini arenas, um, and then once you're outside of those structures, they become cover on the in the larger arena so how connected are the interior areas the exterior areas not well like there's for instance the house the first place you go is has one door and a window you can break and otherwise it's walled off from the outside so that's something in particular, the window you can break, but the the door is a door, and those are both things that the player themselves needs to open, basically. Yeah. Those aren't... There's not... You know, when we talk about flow, there's not a way for the enemies to emerge out of those, at least at the start of the map, right? Yeah, that's right. So you kind of... Uh... Let the enemies get free. Um, but so, I, 
I do worry that, um, you know, jumping right to that topic would complicate things more than uh, would be useful. That like sticking to the, the main outside arena would really be, be where I would want to focus on E1M7 at this point. So, okay, so go on then. Uh, what do you think is interesting about it? It's the fact that it's uh, the arena is fairly large, uh, and in dusk, enemies don't like despawn the way that I understand them to in two-dimensional games. Um, so you'll have mages or whatever off in the distance firing at you beyond your vision. Um, and it, it does well to bring out the, uh, man, I, I regret having to make a comparison for this, but, um, it really brings out the doomy behavior of the enemies where, uh, all enemies are awake at all times and they're all trying to kill somebody, whether it's you or they're infighting. Uh, <laughs> so um, it's a large space with lots of stuff moving, and so much of the stuff that's moving is outside of your awareness. Um, well, and the even the cover you get is... Um, What, uh, not very protective like the silos are round so it's pretty easy to get flanked outside of your vision um, so there is some respite in some structures but not much uh, it leaves you pretty exposed well it's not always the case that enemies are always awake right you have to wake up the enemies first mm-hmm. oh okay <laughs> so there are some of them that uh, until you come into their line of sight, are just going to hold position, basically. And then once you come into their line of sight, you're right. There's nothing you could do to put them back to sleep or uh, that will turn them off. Okay, so maybe you've just exposed something I didn't realize about Dusk. In Is that to say in E1M7, am I better if I just park myself in one spot and... Uh, hold to that spot as as close as I can until I've killed every enemy I can see. Uh, well, whether that's whether or not that's the best way to play, I guess, is debatable, but um, that you will limit the amount of enemies that are attacking you by doing that. Uh, the For instance, there's a bunch of those goats, the Black Phillips, at, right around the... They're right around the corner from you when you start. Basically, you start behind one of the silos. And if you move forward, then you'll come into their line of sight and they'll begin attacking you. But if you just stand there, and someone else can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not here. If you just stand there, the goats aren't going to eventually, they're not going to wander around on their own and eventually find you. Right. One question, I... I don't remember. Uh, do the enemies do they hear? Cause I, cause I know Doom had enemies that they specifically deafen so that they only react to line of sight. But uh, that was one of the unique things about Doom is that they react to like if you shot a gun, you would awaken other enemies because of the sound. I don't remember if Dusk has that. Yeah, they, they enemies will will respond will wake up to gunfire. That's why the sword in, in episode three is special because you can use it 
to silently kill pe uh, kill enemies. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess to answer your question, Gollum, it's that uh, if you stayed in one spot and took it one at a time, I don't think that would last very long because inevitably if you kill the, the first set of enemies that you do wake up via line of sight, you would wake up this other nearby enemies through the sound of any gunfire, unless you did it all melee. Right. So, uh, that's a place where the the barriers come into play, is that these one-way barriers that the player can't, or, or uh, like the house isn't open until the player opens a path into it, is significant because the enemies inside there aren't going to uh, wake up and come out as soon as you start shooting. Even though they theoretically, or, or even though they would be aware if there wasn't that rule about uh, sound barriers. Uh, so the other um, interesting thing you talked about, you, you touched on about the Dead of Night is that, uh, as you said, there are enemies that are outside of your line of sight that can shoot at you. But that's that's actually a specific trait of that map and... Um, Right. Particular other points where uh, it's dark on that map. You know, it's nighttime. Yeah, it's got and, that darkness fog. Right, and it limits how far you can see because another map we're going to talk about in a little bit, Into the Thresher, has distances that are just as large, but you can see the enemy shooting at you from across that distance. <laughs> I Okay, I have to confess to ignorance there because I didn't realize, like... I guess the night was just that convincing that I didn't think it was as long on Into the Thresher. Uh, yeah, you're too absorbed in the setting. <laughs> uh, but e even if not Into the Thresher, certainly the granary is as large as, as Dead of Night. And uh, that you can see from one end to the other. Uh, and I, I think that that's a really significant element of Dead of Night. And it does... Uh, uh, push um, the player toward the enemy more. Like you were talking about, oh, it's hard to hide behind the cover because it's circular. Uh, but I also think that it's hard to uh, cover because the enemies have a longer line of sight than you do. So this is a place where darkness in and of itself is creating a barrier. Uh, I think that the that outdoor area actually sort of separates into two arenas because there's one, because you can't see from one side to the other. So if you're talking about what I said at the beginning, like my definition of arena being you can, combatants can see and shoot each other. Uh, that is a one-sided setup where it's not symmetrical. The enemies can see you and shoot you from one side, but it's only when you get close to them that you have essentially entered an arena with them because then you can see them. I get, I mean, <clears throat> can you pick off enemies with like the hunting rifle or something? If you see the, you know, the glow of the fireball coming at you, you can kind of I, trace the ray. I, I can. I don't know if you can. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just doing that one earlier today and the scarecrows on those, on top of those silos that spawn in after you get the blue key are kind of a pain. Because uh, mm -hmm. as soon as you get close enough that you can see them, 
you're close enough that they can hit you, and their scatter bullets spread out quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, so, there are multiple waves in that map. Uh, as I just alluded to, once you get the key in one of the structures, uh, it's repopulated. So, uh, what, like, different... Well, basically, what's the difference, would you say, between the first wave and the second wave? Like, why is it interesting to come back to this space a second time? Even without the enemy differences, I think it's interesting because you're coming at it from a different side, um, where you start out uh, at one end of the map fighting over to the house, and then if you know where you're going... Uh, when you exit the house, you're basically going back to where you came from. Um, so all of the cover suddenly becomes uh, backwards. Yeah, I, I think it's very different going from... Because you're in the flat area. The the side where the house is basically is mostly flat. And the area with the silos is... There's lots of buildings around there. So when you start out... You're, you've got all these buildings around you, and it's easy to take cover. But then when you're coming back, you're in the open space, and they've all got the high ground, basically, to shoot down at you. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a cool dynamic. Yeah. If I remember correctly, when you get out of the house, you're just, like, immediately bum-rushed by the the, the goats. There's what are they called? Black Phillips. Uh, Black Phillips. Mm-hmm. Black yeah. Phillips. <laughs> And then the because the clansmen are on top, some of them are on top of those silos. Uh, although they are restricted on that space up there, they don't walk off ledges. Although they do are affected by the jump pads. Um, you'll see the you know fireballs just coming out from the night sky at you. I think there's even a scarecrow on top of one of the awnings too, yeah, yeah. and the it's, silos. It's yeah. Terrible. So yeah, so they weren't there. I don't think they were actually there the first time around the right. scarecrows on the awnings in particular. So they're in just new, new spots, pressuring you in a different way. And it's a harder enemy. Um, oh yeah, that too. But the space in and of itself uh, is putting you at greater difficulty the second time that you go through it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third wave there as well, actually, after you get the red key. You remember that golem? Yeah, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, what the only thing that distinguishes that is that it has uh, fork maidens. Nice on the name. <laughs> That's what they're called. I didn't remember that. <laughs> I kept calling them psycho grannies. Yeah, I call them grannies. That uh, certainly makes head. more sense than fork maiden. I don't know what that... That's what they were throwing? Forks? No, it's fork maiden like the picture. I think it's that picture. Okay. American Gothic. Oh, right. right oh, right, yeah. man. Okay. God damn. I, I think <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Doesn't really look like it. Um, it's a hat. <clears throat> I don't know. It's an old lady. That's the best I've got. But the, uh, there's only, I mean, that is it for the third wave. It's just two fork maidens. Yeah. Um,. So, when do you enter and exit that uh, outdoors arena? I think it's a pretty short trek that you uh, collect the red key card and then um, the red brick house is right there, right? 
like you stay on that one side of the silos, the starting side of the silos. You don't really cross the whole arena again. I mean, from beginning to end of the map, how many times do you go in and out of the arena? Oh, uh, I guess three. One to the house, one to the um, barn, and then one to the brick house. Yeah, and the barn is a really small structure that is immediately, I mean, in and that, you know, you could say that's its own mini arena. That's the perfect example of where I use the crossbow just to kill everything that's inside there. I don't even know what enemies are in there. I just know they're always all dead when I open the door. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's a really small building, so it's easy to do that. Uh, and there's also a secret in one of the silos that is actually pretty long, and I feel like a big distraction that caused me to miss how simple the map is in general the first time oh, yeah. I played it, because you go down into tunnels for quite a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that has a weird... Um, I don't get that space, basically. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I actually left a note because there was a secret that I didn't understand what the secret was until I played it in just the right way, where it's like, oh, this is the switch that I didn't realize was connected to this one bunker next to the blue key door that half the time I didn't realize, oh, wait, that was closed at one point. <laughs> it was one of those. Yeah, uh... Kind of confusing stuff. Um, so the... Uh, d- what's the distribution of weapons on that map? Um, okay, I did write down the weapons that are in the map. Um, Mainly in the... Uh, not necessarily in the map, I mean in the arena. Um, and, like, where are they relative to the enemies? Well, you start out with landscape. a, uh, if I recall correctly, you start out with a pistol and an assault rifle? Well, I mean, you start out with nothing, but well, there's a <laughs> handgun right in front of you. Um, isn't there an assault rifle right by, like, a couple of Black Phillips by the beginning? Yeah, it's around the corner, but you start in the arena, so you start in a space where you don't need to go forward in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, in the implicit initial direction that you would move, if you just walk forward when the map starts, shortly thereafter you'll see an assault rifle. Yeah. Uh, there's a crossbow, which is pretty easy to spot just because it's um, inside of a a shed by the house so it's kind of a conspicuous structure um yeah i think there's a shotgun like halfway up the map if i'm remembering right in one of the uh shed type things i think everything else is inside of the structures yeah but the thing is the super shotgun and the hunting rifle i think are secrets if i'm remembering right I only remember getting the crossbow and the assault rifle. Yeah, the super shotgun uh, helps a lot on that map, just because uh, most of the enemies in E1 just go down in one one shot to it. 
Yeah, because when I was playing it on Duskmare, I wasn't uh, that the house you go in with the blue key is kind of complicated, and so there's that window that you can use to get in and skip everything in there. So I was doing that, and so I would finish with just the handgun, the uh, assault rifle, and the crossbow. Okay. And the riveter. Riveter. Um, How did I? I know I got all the secrets. Maybe I just didn't write it down. I may have come into the map with the riveter. I don't remember. Oh, oh. I think that that covers that particular arena. I think, yeah, the the interesting aspects of that one are really the use of darkness to create an implicit barrier and the geometry that has like the high side or the, the developed structured side and then the flat side which allows you to have the the two different uh, challenges, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, would I say that's an arena? Um, well, wait, no. What's the percentage of an arena it is? Right. <laughs> How would I measure it as an arena? I would say it gets like a D, maybe. <clears throat> Uh, because that the one the side A and side B aspect of it to me is something that interrupts like there's no flow to it really. The enemies are on the structures and they're fighting you from there. Uh, so certainly in the second part, I think it it's more like a um, you're fighting against in, an encampment basically. Well, you could define it as two different separate arenas. Uh, for each time enemies spawn in. Yeah, I mean, you could say that the arena is just the area around the structures. Mm-hmm. At least for one uh, wave of enemies. Right, but it's not. The space well, is connected, so... Well, I mean, when, when you enter the house and where enemies spawn in after, when you leave, that would be a separate arena. So you're saying that the first time... The first set of enemies you fight there is the first version of the arena. And then after you exit with the blue key, that's a second version of the arena. Yeah. But it's the same space. And really what we're talking about is what the space is. Oh. Mm. I suppose. (laughs) If you define the arena as, you know, in terms of flow, I think how the, the different enemies being there. Uh, alters the uh, the space just in terms of how you use it. Right. So would you... Okay, well then separating it like that, would you say that the first wave or the second wave is more or less of an arena? Mm. I guess the first wave is more like an arena. Because enemies are fairly spread out normally. They're not in place in high places. Right. Most of the enemies are on the ground at that point. Yeah. That's more arena-like to me. Then. So they're... Yeah. And that, I mean, that, you know, coming back to the the dictionary definition, um, that level area that is shared is, you're saying, makes it feel more like an arena. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, okay, so we're going to move on to... E2M3 into the Thresher. Uh, so that is the one that you picked out, Shouty. So 
what did you find? Uh, well, first of all, could you describe the part of the map that you would consider an arena or the main arena of the map? Yeah, um, there are multiple arenas, I think, in the map, but the main one is the outside area, the outdoors area. And uh, you start off uh, by coming out of a small little house, I guess. And I don't think the arena starts quite yet. You you come across these um these possessed soldiers who ambush you right as you uh, right as you leave the house. But even then, I think the arena doesn't really start until um after you defeat them and take the fan on the ground up to the uh, uh first upper level. There, the arena I think really begins because you're dealing with enemies from all sides. Even if there's cover um around. Um, you still have to take care because enemies will find you even behind the cover. I guess for this arena, I would describe it as kind of like a funnel because you have enemies uh, up in the up in the balconies, I guess, up in the fringes, who are firing down at you, and you have to make your way around uh, the arena in order, and carefully dodging everything and defeating things on on a level by level basis, just so you're you're making sure not to get flanked by anything. Yeah, I think a funnel is a, a good description of it because it's a layer or it's uh, layers of concentric circles, basically, or rings. Yeah. Um, so you start out in the smallest uh, or that, that floor area you said is the smallest uh, layer and then you move up at the same time that the enemies are sort of pushing you back down, essentially, by shooting at you from above. Right. The floor area at the very bottom, I don't really consider that part of the arena because it you don't really interact with the enemies um, when you're down there. They can't really get you. I mean, they, I guess they could get you from up there, but they have a immense advantage as from being on the high ground. So if you're down there, you're basically just a fish in a barrel. And yeah, I think that how, how much, how connected that space is, is related to what we talked about with like, how much can you hide in a corner in an arena or, or like how much, uh, or how safe can you be? And when you're down on that floor area, you can be exposed to the enemies above, but generally, um, you can also stay safe. Down there, I think. Yeah. Well, you can stay safe, but you're not going to be able to see other enemies when you're down there. You have to expose yourself a bit and be at a disadvantage. But they can't come around you, essentially. They can't do the thing where they circle around and hit you from the other side. So it is sort of a dead end. Yeah. So I wouldn't... I wouldn't really start the arena there. I would start the arena right as you hit the fan and then you're up on the first ring. Yeah, so the the layers above, like, how connected are they? Like, how well do the enemies move around in that area? Well, when you get to the first uh, level ring, um, enemies the enemies on, that, on those rings will eventually uh, seek you out. Uh, whether they're mages, uh, grand wizards, or the welders. So you have to 
really make sure to stay on the move so they don't um, flank you. But the enemy is up on the on the fringes or on the like, uh, like the the storage containers. The those um those won't really get to you. And yeah, they're they're a little more self-contained. They're more providing cover fire for the enemies that are on the 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 first level ring. So there's a combination then of two ways, or like the there are there is this this level area that is this ring, and then additionally, like the silos uh, that we talked about in Dead of Night, there are these stacked up storage containers that provide a place for enemies to stand, but enemies also, if they're on those, are stuck on those. Right. You can um, kind of breach their uh, their their levels if you really wanted to with the fans that are around on the first level ring. Um, but it's not really advisable because there are so many of them. They'll probably take you down as you're trying to get to them. It's better to just try and snipe with them. But even if you are sniping at them, you still have to uh, be in their line of sight. And so you're still vulnerable to their attacks. Yeah, you can get a little bit, and this is not really, I think, intended in the design of the map. You can get a little bit cheesy with it, with the sniping. Yeah, if you clear out the first level ring of all the enemies, then it's you definitely have breathing room to just uh, peek around corners take and pick off each individual uh, level if you angle yourself correctly. The um, there's a there's a dead end where you go to get the yellow key and you can kind of and that is actually a spot where because it's a dead end you can sort of use it to funnel in all the ground enemies to where you can kind of uh, take them one or two at a time. So when you clear out all the ground ones, then you can you know cheese it out and play you know peekaboo with the the remaining enemies on the on the the balconies. Yeah. And what I was thinking about was even cheesier than that, actually. Uh, when you're on the ground all the way at the bottom uh, where you enter, uh, you can um, see some of the mages and the uh, the red ones, whatever they're called. You can see their heads. Uh, uh, the ones that, in particular, the ones that are on the shipping containers, and they can't hit you from there, but you can hit them with the sniper rifle. So... That's only a couple enemies, but there are a couple you can take out before they can hit you. <laughs> right. The low ground advantage. Yeah. Uh, and and like I said, I, I don't think that's intentional. That's uh, just taking advantage of the hitboxes in the game, basically. Right. Well, speaking of finding cover, there's also a secret um, at that dead end, too, in fact. One, you can open up with a, a bomb, an explosive, uh, and get some goodies in there. I actually kind of use that because um, you're still kind of in the open, even if you do have containers that uh, you can use as cover. Uh, I think that you get more absolute cover if you go into the little alcove after you blow it up. You definitely are more guarded there. Yeah. But there's also another secret, which is a... A fake wall and um actually you don't really use that as cover what you can do is you can go in there and you're like in this weird little 
underground maze. It's it's a really weird secret, I think. It's kind of like if the the silo secret in uh in, in the dead of the night was a little more stuck on to its its level as an arena. But um yeah, I tried to um wait, there's a secret within that secret that gives you access to a crystal of madness which allows enemies to infight who are within its radius after you throw and break it. And I tried to use it, but it doesn't really work all that well. I try to use it on the enemies that are all clustered on the like the second or third highest rung right. of the arena. It doesn't really work out though. Like I expect them to only infight, but they really didn't. I also wanted to try to use it on the Grand Wizard to back me up, but he doesn't really do anything after you get yeah break it on him. He just kind of stands there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they'll definitely. Yeah, they'll wait around if there's nothing, no enemies for them to fight. Yeah, but they should be able to fight uh, enemies that are just in their line of sight, not just that are also in the crystal. Crystals are gas. Yeah, I feel like I remember using it on enemies and they would like turn away from me after I I crack a crystal on them. (sighs) Yeah, they should become like Yeah, they will. I remember Uh, one turning away from me and I was like following him, watching him to take his next target again. The first thing, and once he actually sees it, he then turns around and shoots at me. I'm like, what are you doing? You traitor. (laughs) I don't know what happened there. Well, it's the crystal of madness, not the crystal you. of cooperation. <laughs> <laughs> what was one of the Quake expansions had a, a cooperation item? Yeah, there was that summoning horn that can summon uh, various monsters at random or set monsters. Yeah, I don't remember which one that was in, but that was awful. <laughs> you didn't like having a pet shambler. Uh, they. The AI is not meant for following you around, and so anytime you oh, would go oh, yeah. off a ledge or something like that, it would just yeah. And it was always in places where there were tons of ledges, and you would just lose your little buddy. Uh, Only so, with the shambler was good, <laughs> right? Well, anyway, that's off topic. Uh, I but in terms of enemies, though, I think that the Grand Wizards in that arena are something that puts a lot more pressure on you to keep moving because that's an enemy that can attack you from any distance and throws a homing fireball at you, which tracks you at a much closer rate, basically than an enemy following you and throwing regular projectiles would. Funny thing about the grand wizards is that on my dusk run of that map, I found them to be actually one of the more uh, easier enemies to deal with, with their slow-moving, even uh, 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 homing projectile. I was more on edge from the the uh, the projectiles thrown by mages and welders. And even, oh yeah, and there were also those turrets. Uh, yeah. That you have to deal with. Yep. So the yeah, those turrets are definitely felt a lot more dangerous than the grand guards. Yeah, but so, you can very. Hmm? I, I was going to say, the turrets are in a location, though, where they can't always see you. Of course, turrets can't move. Uh, so they're just a, a fixed aspect of the arena. 
they're in a place where they can't see you in like about half of it, maybe, but in the other half they can. And they'll shoot at you from really far away, and it's sort of like a scarecrow shot where it scatters. Yeah. And it's not easy to see. And so when I was playing it, it was always important to remember to take those out as soon as possible so I wouldn't get caught off guard by them. Yeah. Um, so I try to angle myself so I can uh, reach the turrets before they can get a good shot on me. And... Dealing with the Grand Wizards is a lot easier by themselves when they have a slow-moving projectile that you can just nullify by turning a corner. So, I think the part of the significance of the turrets and the, the enemies that are stuck on roofs or whatever is that that counteracts that corner, basically, that you can get around with the yellow key card because you can drag, as Adrian said, you can drag some of the enemies that are on the same level as you into that corner and fight them safely there. But there are uh, at, at least six or seven or maybe more than that enemies that are not going to ever follow you into that corner. Yeah. that was. Uh, I'm glad you got to that point because I was, I was about to bring it up that there was... It's one of the things that was also important for E1F7, which we discussed earlier, was... Some of the enemies will chase you around, and then some of the en enemies will uh, hold a position from which to pressure you. So even if you're playing Ring Around the Rosy uh, with some of the chaser enemies, there's always these other enemies that can uh, strike you from a different angle. And that's actually kind of important to the, uh, to the setup here and making these uh, arena layouts work. Right. I definitely agree that that's like a necessary sort of counterpoint because of, and that's something that evolves from the type of enemy that Dusk has, where this is going back to what I was saying about Half-Life, where like an, a Half-Life enemy, even on level ground with you, will still choose to hide behind something, in theory. Uh, whereas a Dusk enemy will always expose themselves in an attempt to follow you, um, so the arena layout or the map layout needs to necessarily contain them somewhere if uh, they want if it wants to prevent the player from taking advantage of every uh, blind corner. Yeah, the uh, the enemies that are constrained to the higher ground spaces because they can't figure out how to go downstairs because their pathfinding isn't that sophisticated. Right. Um, allows there to be setups of direct and indirect attackers versus all of them being direct because right. all of them have the pathfinding to follow you. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, the direct and indirect. Um, and I think that, you know, when you're measuring the arena-ness of a map or whatever, taking into consideration that that's how Dusk works and that um, that offset is necessary so that the, the player doesn't take advantage... That, to me, alleviates, you know, uh, I wouldn't be so happy in a melee combat-only game if there were enemies that were stuck on top of silos, calling that an arena, because it's like, well, they, you have to get up there and fight them, so it's not really mm. the same space. But in Dusk, because of the fact that uh, the enemies um, can be contained like that, or that's the only way of positioning a stationary enemy, that really, to me, is... Um, much more acceptable or um, 
expected in any combat scenario, arena or not, that it's going to make use of that. Mm-hmm. Sheldy, how many waves do you fight in that arena? Waves? Uh... Yeah, like we talked about in Dead of Night, there's the first wave before you get the blue key, then there's the second wave after you get the blue key, and the third wave after you get the red key. I don't think there really are any waves in that. I think all the enemies are spawned in that you fight. When you pick up the yellow key, more enemies spawn in. They do? Oh, yeah, you're right, they do. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of tricky about it, though. Yeah, you're right. Some mages and welders will show up again on the on, on the first ring level. I Yeah. Do any of them show up on the fringes on the upper levels? I don't remember. Like I don't think so. Rather. I I think it's um when you pick up the yellow key, there's a, just a few that spawn in relatively near to you. And I think that the idea of that spawn is that it is actually trapping you in the dead end is what uh, they want to do with that because those enemies show up sort of like behind these fuel tanks that are sitting there. And if you grab the yellow key and immediately run back out, um, they're going to hit you basically, or you're going to be exposed to them. Uh, and if you grab the yellow key and hold there, they're going to close in on your position. Um, so it, it's just putting pressure on you to get out of that corner or to fight them immediately. Yeah. I mean, with how many enemies you're, um, you're greeted with, they kind of just blend in with the rest of the, the monsters that are already on the field. Unless you really do just clear that whole area out before getting the yellow key for whatever reason. Oh, that's Doesn't how really I seem play. like That's the way you play it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Just, just, <laughs> I'm not running around like... with, uh, in that area <laughs> with all those enemies <laughs> around. I fucking snipe everything there. <laughs> nah. I'm like always hiding behind a corner and sniping something from like the most optimal angle when I play that map. Well, sniping would be nice if there was enough rifle ammo. Yeah, well, I make every bullet count. I get 15 bullets, and I better get at least 14 kills with it, or else I'm fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my gameplay has started looking more like that, and I can't tell if it's... um... You know, the chicken or the egg, am I getting better because I'm playing like that? Or am I playing that like that because I'm getting better? Ah, yeah. Yeah. Increasing tactical options that become available when you develop more skill and knowledge about the weapon system. Uh, Shadi, were you going to talk about weapons in the arena? Yeah. Yeah, in the arena, um... But I think the weapons leading up to the arena also count because uh, the arena is pretty early on in the level. So if you found all the secrets up leading up to the arena, you can have a super shotgun, a shotgun, and dual wielding pistols. Oh, and the rifle, if you don't count that little house area part of the arena. Um, right. So yeah, when you get to the arena, you can... Um, 
you can get um, a mortar, but it's really it's really full of it's really in a dense area full of uh, monsters, so it's pretty dangerous. So I, it's not really something I'd go for. And um, yeah, There's I guess a, an assault rifle as well. Oh, where's the assault rifle? That's on the um, it's on one of the buildings near the yellow key card corner or the yellow key corner. Um, oh yeah, I remember now. It's just like a, yeah. a, a raised you brick the, you area. You take the fan up there. Yeah. Yes. There's some mages right up there. Sure. Right. And again, just like the mortar, there's a bunch of enemies around it and it leaves you, it, you're completely exposed there, basically. Yeah, so the weapons that are directly in the arena are pretty heavily guarded, so you're going to have to rely on um, some fairly weak ones to begin with. I didn't actually play. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I didn't actually play this map uh, with the intruder mode on or from the level select. I did it from a. I did it from the previous level in my Duskmare run. So okay. I had a bunch of weapons. I had also. I have. I had basically every weapon. So I was able to use rivets and and I had much, way more ammo for the rifle. Yeah, I think ammo for the rifle. Uh, makes a big difference having the assault rifle also makes a big difference because you know when we're talking about large arenas this is something that really brings out the and the way that the enemy's position really brings out the distinction in dust's weapon set where you have very short range weapons like the shotguns which are very ineffective at uh the range of you know if you're to shoot from the floor of this area and try to hit the enemies on the upper rings, then um, the shotguns are going to be totally useless, essentially. Well, definitely the super shotgun. You could probably try to snipe with the regular one. Yeah, you, you burn through a lot of ammo that way. Of course, you get the most ammo for the shotguns, but it's still going to take you like five shots per enemy. Mm, I see. Um. So the only thing that's really effective is the hunting rifle or the, oh, there's a hunting rifle, the crossbow, uh, the rivet gun, and the assault rifle can all shoot basically perfectly straight shots. And so the assault rifle, if you come in with that, because as we just said, getting it there is quite difficult. So if you come in with the assault rifle, that helps out a lot. Yeah, that can like also work as a sniping tool. Right. Uh, because just to quickly reiterate, we mentioned this last time, but the first shot, the first bullet of that is perfectly accurate. So if you tap the trigger, uh, you get repeated, uh, perfectly accurate shots. Yeah. Let's send it with the pistol for that so, matter. So that can also work as a makeshift hmm? sniping tool. No, the pistol doesn't work that way. I thought the first shot was always accurate if it's single. The, uh, it, maybe if it's single, definitely the dual pistols don't work that way. No, dual pistols uh, always be but the, have some offsuit, uh, offset. The dual pistols also have much larger deviation than the single handgun, so it might just mm -hmm. seem like the first shot is more accurate because 
I think it's something like 1.5 degrees for the regular shot and then 5 degrees for the um, dual pistols, which is why the single pistol is actually kind of a better weapon. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good, good luck keeping it and not accidentally <laughs> picking up a second one. <clears throat> well, you can switch between dual wielding and uh, having what? single. Yeah, just press the weapon, the, the, the button again. Oh, that's PC only feature. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can't do. I get. I mean, I could try it, but uh, pretty positive you can't do that in the console version. Okay. Well, anyway, we're we're drifting off topic here. Um. So I think that uh that you know that arena and into the thresher is a very distinct one, very memorable part of the game. Um, that funnel shape to it is really what characterizes it and makes it a unique challenge that you're basically fighting your way up against, um, these rings of enemies that are shooting down at you. And you've also, you're actually, uh, when you're playing the game for the first time, you're fairly new to the Grand Wizards at that point. So that is pretty much the hardest enemy in the game, or certainly in the top tier of enemy difficulty. So that makes it, for me, I found that to be a particular difficulty spike, uh, getting to that point in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how would you rate this in terms of the arena-ness scale? In terms of the arena-ness scale, for me, this is like a classic first-person shooter arena. This is an A. All right. uh, the only thing that gives me any hesitation is that corner with the yellow key card, where yeah, you that, can... That kind of get away from the action um Mm -hmm. so maybe an a minus because of that but other than that you know you're you're exposed you're in the same territory as the enemies and you gotta keep moving and so uh you know like i said i play with the sniper rifle and take really careful shots but i take them quickly and then i move on (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh it's um it's not cover shooting, basically. Like, if an, to me, cover shooting would be the sort of the opposite of an arena. And another major factor in this, actually, that we didn't really um, touch on, or, or you know, you mentioned, but there's the fans um, that allow the fans that that shoot the player up in the air, and they allow an arena of this uh, large height to work because. Yeah. If you're relying on elevators, um, then that really would slow down the ability for the player to move between levels. And if you're relying on jumping, then that really limits the height uh, difference that you can have uh, in an arena. But this one is able to be narrow. I think the narrowness is part of what makes it feel like a funnel versus a bowl. It's narrow and tall because it's got these fans that allow you to make the this vertical transition, basically. Yeah, and it's a much more uh, allows them much more options than if it was to use uh, ladders in uh, as an alternate for it. Right, uh, because when you're flying in the air from a fan, you're basically still in a normal combat state, whereas on a ladder, there's all kinds of weirdness basically you can't really fight on a ladder certainly not in uh dusk yeah not not very effectively and your your limit it's it's you know literally one-dimensional because you're limited to the 
to the point that the ladder uh, reaches the top versus a jump pad where it's just like pick whichever angle you want as long as you go over it. Yeah. Yeah, so I I would say this is very arena-y and very good as well. Yeah, uh, this is this is the thing that's just like when I when I think of Dusk and what it what it does with its level design that uh, sets it apart. It's it's stuff like this. Yeah. All right. Um, with that, I gotta get going. Are you gonna? Yeah. All right. Take care. Yeah. Uh, thanks for. Goodbye, uh, Bye-bye. Yeah, no problem. Bye. <laughs> okay. Um, so from there, we're going to move on to the third and final arena that we're going to be discussing. I know we uh, referenced a couple more maps at the beginning, but it's already been an hour and 20 minutes, and so I think that one third arena uh, would be good. So for that... Adrian, are you going to talk about Erebus Reactor? So, yeah, Erebus Reactor. So, this one is, I mean, this one characterized, so unlike um, E2M3, which is just, you know, uh, one part of the level towards the beginning, and then there's a sort of second half of the level where you get into more interior setups, although very interesting ones because of those floor grates where you're shooting at them from below. Yeah, that's a whole Uh, other conversation. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, with Erebus Reactor, the entire damn stage is the arena, obviously not including that one part where you go off to fight Little John. Uh, Right. So this one is basically... And Dead of Night, sort of the same thing, but Dead of Night um, had those houses... um, and interior spaces where there are somewhat longer fights. And I think that Erebus Reactor is... Well, I don't even think it's about the houses, really. Erebus Reactor is just, like, huge. And it's yeah. got a ton of enemies in it compared yeah. to Dead of Night. So it's a, it's a sort of similar feeling once you walk out and, you know, see you... Kind of like with the... God damn it. With uh, E2, M3, into the th- well, once you go up that jump pad, you realize, oh my god, there's enemies here. Oh, and you turn around, oh, there's more there. Oh, and there's more there. This one is just like that, but much more intense. So once you get out, it's just like, oh god, and there's all sorts of stuff shooting at you. And then you'll even notice some of the welders from like way, way, way up uh, just uh, going ballistic on you. So you see the, their volley of their fireballs coming at you. Uh, so yeah, the, this this level where it's just like, just trying to get your bearings is... is uh, uh, much more tense compared to into the Thresher. Right. Uh, because, and that's where, you know, into the Thresher had that funnel shape or reverse funnel where you start at the bottom and then you work your way up. Whereas um, Erebus Reactor is based on a flat area that just has lots of large, complicated structures and a catwalk above. So there's not any real implicit direction when you enter the arena mm-hmm. that's right and uh while you might say that oh well maybe you can turtle in that first stairway up <laughs> the reason why that isn't so effective is because this is just the start of the level you got to get out there and get your ammo and your weapons uh well i mean this is because i also played interceptor mode but i think even if you were to holding onto your weapons you you would quickly realize that like that's not gonna that's not gonna work for very long 
Right. And they map, and this is where, you know, um, the other ones we didn't talk about this as much, but this is where, like, keys and um, checkpointing of the map or, or structuring the progression of the map comes into play to get you to move around to different areas of the arena where mm-hmm. you could theoretically work your way around the border of it and expose yourself to far less, far fewer enemies, but you're not trying to get through this arena. You're trying to hit a bunch of points yep. and find a bunch of points really on your first time playing through. You're trying to find a bunch of points in this arena. Like where is the next key? Uh, which is in and of itself um, requiring you to get out there and interact with the enemies. Yeah. So this is where I, um, I, I've made my, well, I've recognized a pattern in how David Zemanski does his levels for Dusk <laughs> is that okay. there's quite a number of them that do the, uh, um, the downtown slash suburbs style of setup where you're in a large open area. You can access a majority of it, Those, but the, the main, Downtown and suburbs being Doom Two references, just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> to not mention that, not yeah, those are Doom levels, not not uh, uh, Dusk levels. But uh, yeah, but where you have the the big open area and you're trying to get into these interior spaces where you collect the keys to progress to to, to the next one, and that's when you get into your uh, your more claustrophobic sort of regular Doom Wolfen style uh, setups and shootouts. Right. With, uh, go on. Yeah. Uh, what uh, things that character, characterize the Airbus reactor as well, though, or at least that distinguish it from some of the other ones, are the, the massive cracks um, that you can fall into that yes. are very dangerous, of course. This also helps to keep some of the enemies from uh, efficiently pathfinding all of themselves to you, so you can't funnel them as well, which is why some of them are going to round themselves in different ways, and why you know you don't want to stay in one place for too long, uh, because you might get get flanked by an enemy. Is like, oh, this guy who was awakened, you know, probably across the other side of the field, but took a different path that I didn't expect. But half the time you can't even see them because you're on this ground level where there's all these structures that kind of block your view of where the other enemies on the opposite side of the field are going. Right, but those the cracks in particular, I think, are a. a unique element of that especially compared to the the two arenas we just talked about because they're a way of using essentially a hazard as a negative space in the arena so there's not a wall there that blocks you there's nothing that covers you from being shot at there yet there's Mm -hmm. still a line that you can't walk or uh, a lot of times you can't even jump across because it's a big enough gap yeah so you have this um I guess kind of a, a donut-ish setup, but that's uh, and that's perforated with these uh, container-like structures right. that then house other enemies. Which you know you find keys and you open those structures, or some of them are the monster closets where after you pick up a key in another spot, they open up and release, uh, say, one of the the cowgirls in them or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, cowgirls are more welders and things like that. So there are basically, in terms of the exterior areas of the level, there are two main spaces, right? Because there's the upper catwalk as well, which is connected fully to the arena. 
right into the floor. Yeah, and because the upper catwalk area is, um, it gives you a clear sightline of almost every part of the arena. While those enemies are constrained there, that that's another thing that keeps the you know got to keep moving because those guys and they're moving along the catwalk, so they just find a new angle from which to shoot you at. So uh, they also make themselves your your kind of your priority target unless you're stupid, in which you don't focus <laughs> on them. Keep I mean, if you want to make do a self-imposed challenge, you you can leave them for last, but uh, they're the ones that are the most lethal because of the fact that unlike the other enemies on the ground where they're obstructed in view by the same structures that obstruct you uh they're not limited by that and if it, there ever is a chance where you go behind one building uh, one of the welter just has to keep walking along the catwalk until it's not an issue anymore and that's a place where it, much more so than in into the thresher um the actual height of the catwalk is something that is above your field of view if you're just fighting with enemies on the ground floor basically so <laughs> Being aware of that area above is a, a part of what makes it such a high priority to take out the enemies there because you can't keep looking up at them. Or, I mean, you would have to, to keep track, keep looking up. And when you look yeah. up, you're taking your sight off of what's on the ground. Right. So they uh, they, they can be uh, very obnoxiously out of view, which is which is where the uh, the interesting choice has has that that's a that's another thing. I think it's just the interesting choices part that emerges of the arenas because of the complex layout uh, and the you know lack of ability to just stay in one spot and wait for all the like you know the mad scientists to come at you in a corner so they can just run to their deaths. Right, and you know we. I think that visibility in a first-person shooter is part of what makes this type of arena that we're talking about um, a significant challenge or a distinct challenge from a corridor. Part of the challenge, right? Not the entire distinction. But uh, in a first-person shooter, you can't see everything that's around you all the time. You're limited in what you can see, and so you can be attacked from behind. It's not like Devil May Cry or off-screen enemies will never attack you. Right. Or if they do, <clears throat> they, they give some sort of audio cue. Um, Dusk, in, in this one, and another factor that distinguishes this one is uh, much more... I mean, I don't think you could. this would happen as much in E2M3, in the arena E2M3. This one, you can just lose track of, like, where are the enemies? Yes, um, definitely. So, so that, that's one where it's just like, that'll keep you on the run, is just not knowing where the enemies are. And into the Thresher, you know, you, you maybe have to round a couple of the, the containers to see, oh, there's that welder that was chasing after me. But the arena is small enough that it's like, okay, I can you can, you can do a quick uh, 180 panoramic view and get a glimpse of the entire battlefield. But in this one, not so much. And that is especially significant. This is one reason why I wanted to just set up by mentioning the difficulties at the very beginning where these arenas are particularly difficult on Duskmare because of this factor of not being able to see things around you and behind you, uh, because one stray bullet can take you out. I mean, that's how Duskmare works. And mm -hmm. so prioritizing so that you know where everything is, so that enemies aren't sneaking up behind structures and stuff like that, is a big part of the challenge in that mode. So... <clears throat> having this open space and having that, that really high tier is like, 
I need to get to the point immediately where I can see as much as possible. Yeah. Because that in and of itself is a huge weapon in staying alive. Mm-hmm. And and this is another funny thing with the uh, the catwalks is that the catwalks are funny in that they have uh, quite a high visibility on the grounded areas, but that doesn't all necessarily make them the best spot to be. You know, oh, I'll just pick up pick apart every enemy from up here. It's like mm, you'll find out that that doesn't work so much, especially with the the shotgunners and their their spreads, because um, well, let's just say they got some good eyesight. <laughs> the soldiers, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, soldiers. I still don't remember all their names. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, when you're up there, you can, you're exposed to whoever you can see. And another interesting thing about that is the, you know, talking about how enemies move through the environments. We talked about the fans and into the thresher, and the fans are how you get up to the catwalk in Erebus Reactor. And the enemies can also use the fans to get up. They're not very smart about doing it. Yeah. There are enough enemies in this map, especially um, if you hang around one of the corners near where the fans are. Mm -hmm. You can definitely get soldiers coming up there after you. Oh, yeah. it it The fans definitely lead some, to some unpredictable shit. <laughs> right. Uh, so... That one, you know, instead of being a funnel, it's very much two-tiered, and that means that moving between the tiers uh, is something that is significant to getting an advantage. And I know when I play it, I try to stay up high as much as possible. Yeah. And this is this is one where the secret that reveals the, the super hot power-up is, like, really, really useful, because it does give you that breathing room from, like, trying to you know, look around and seeing is anyone behind me? Is any and like uh, recalibrate where where the remaining enemies are? Because as you go through the level and especially as you spawn in more of them, some of them do. Uh, Dusk does perch some of them on top of them, so you have those uh that mixture of enemies holding a position on top of a on top of a shed, and then the ones the regular ones running around on the ground, especially the freaking cowgirls. Yeah, that's a good point about the super hot power-up, that it does allow you to get a better view, basically, of what's going on. Yeah, it allows you to uh, uh, gain your gain your bearings without that uh, without having to be so so quick on your your reflexes. Right. So, how are this one doesn't have as much of a wave structure? I don't think. Um, but there are new en enemies that are essentially introduced. Like, where are enemies stored in, basically? Or how do they come into the fight as you move through the arena? Yeah, this this one is actually the hardest because I I actually just still just don't know. Like, there are some... So, for example, I know uh, one of the or at least two of the monster closets uh, reveal cowgirls in them. I believe one you open on your own, but one comes out on its own. Um, yeah, there I, are a few yeah. sheds that are basically used to shield the enemy's line of sight. So this goes back to what we were talking about in Into the Night, where enemies don't wake up until they hear or see you. And actually, this is a case where they definitely need to see you to wake up. Uh, yeah. 
because those sheds are used specifically to keep an enemy asleep. Uh, the cowgirl in the far corner is definitely the most obvious example, I think, or at least the one that I work around the most. Mm-hmm. Where, depending on where you move, um, you can stay out of the line of sight and keep that enemy out of the fight for as long as possible. Yeah. I know for in the initial wave, that's where you have your welders on the, the catwalk on the uh, the third high tier uh, of this arena. Um, I believe... Uh, see, see, it's once you start picking up the keys that I, I don't remember all which all the things that the, they activate. But uh, I know there are some welders that are put on top of the, the structures. I don't remember which key does that. And I know one of the keys opens up a... Uh, a cowgirl to come out of it. I think that might be the so the yellow or blue one. The yellow, I think, has a couple of cowgirls. Well, okay. Behind the doors, there are definitely cowgirls, but they don't ever spawn in directly into the arena, right? Ah, oh, man, it's it's so big. You know, you could tell me, and I would believe you. Like Erebus Reactor, it's just hard to know where everything is when. Right. Yeah, because like I I know I've had cowgirls wandering around. It's like I know I didn't let you out of shed. So, but I I don't remember which keys are the ones that uh, trigger them. <laughs> that's so yeah. that's a thing. I don't remember exactly either. And I think there's about four cowgirls on that map. Yeah. Um, and that goes to the point about like oh the the structure's blinding your view, and it's like well there's new enemies now because dusk has been setting that trend for the past you know, fifteen maps or so. So by this point, I, I you kind of ex- expect it, but that not being able to see where they are, where are they, where are they, uh, you know, is a, is another uh, layer, or not layer, consideration to the to the combat in it. Right. Um, yeah. So the enemies themselves here, there aren't any of those grand wizards uh, that fire homing projectiles. So that's one relief. Uh, and instead, as we said, the cowgirls are really the mini-boss type enemies. Uh, right. And they're, you know, how dangerous do you find them in this context? So the cowgirls, uh, for me, were always uh, the most dangerous just because, well, their they're projectile is considerably fast. Um, it has an explosion, so even if you round a corner, well, if it hits, even if you dodge it, but it hits a wall, its explosion is still going to damage you. And then there's that, uh, fuck, that third factor where because a cowgirl already demands so much of your attention, those other soldiers running around can then take their pot shots at you. It's like, shit, I'm trying to keep my eye on the most dangerous thing here, and then this guy, you know, takes a, takes a hit. Right, because she pushes you around, basically. Like, you can't engage her point blank. You need to to be running away and hiding, essentially, to fight her. Yeah, you, you need to keep your eye on her, because that's the last enemy you want to be uh, seeing you with you not seeing her. And that's where I find a lot of... Uh, well, I find fighting on the ground level and using the structures... This is a place where I, I definitely am using cover a lot more to fight uh, than movement. 
uh, when fighting those cowgirls because I just want to like slowly draw them into the position where I've got a good shot at them mm-hmm. and then move to the next position. I don't ever want to fight them in the open. Yeah. And that's funny because the, the number of structures is also what gives the cowgirls uh, an opportunity that the there's more chances for her to hit a wall and just hit you with splash damage, if not from the actual grenade thingy itself. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, oh, um, where are their weapons placed around this arena? I... This one, I... I did not do my homework on. Uh, uh, just, just, right. I'll just admit that part. I know they're located throughout the, through throughout the arena. At what point you pick which area you pick which specific weapon, though, I do not remember. But I know you can get the hunting rifle. You can get almost every weapon. I know you definitely get the hunting rifle, the grenade launcher, the riveter. You definitely get shotguns and super shotguns. I don't know which enemy, you, which weapon you don't get in this level. Might be the crossbow. I think that's the only one you don't get. Golem, uh, what were you going to say? Uh, that the most prominent ones, um, you can get the uh, hunting rifle and the mortar, I'm pretty sure, very quickly out of that uh, red staircase. Um, there is a crossbow, but it's in a secret above a turret. Um and I don't remember finding the Riveter or the Super Shotgun, but it also took me like 30 minutes to find all the secrets in this level. <laughs> this was so, a level yeah. where like I killed all of the enemies and then was like, I have 7 out of 8 secrets left to find. I was scrubbing through for the last one, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, there's a bunch of weapons at like right near where you start. Of course, like immediately as soon as you start getting shot at. So I, I tend to like run away from the hunting rifle pickup that's right there and forget about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as soon as you go up the stairs, there's definitely handguns. There's a hunting rifle. I think there's a super shotgun there. And there's the mortar is in the corner to your right when you go up the stairs. Uh, it's near the fan, basically. And I don't remember when or where you get an assault rifle. That's in like a, it's in a nondescript shed uh, that might be open the instant you spawn in, or you might trigger it to be open. Okay. I don't think there are any doors that open on triggers. I think it's um, just enemies that spawn in on triggers. Okay, then, yeah. It's definitely, again, it's a large map, it's complicated, and it's easy to, like, walk into a shed, find a weapon there, and be like, oh, I didn't get this before, so that must have opened up when I did something else, but nah, we just walked past it before, because there's so much shit there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I I think that about covers it. I, I mean, that's a... The space... Or the um, the way the having the catwalk above as a ring overhead and fighting down um, is something that definitely favors the mortar, I find. That's a big mortar map for me, which is not a weapon I use a lot in Dusk. Um, 
but it's something I use a ton on that map because you can just keep throwing them down at enemies and uh, they'll cluster up sort of as they follow you around and you can take out uh, a lot of soldiers that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the flip side, the mortar is useless for trying to shoot up at the enemies that are already on the catwalk. If you're trying to shoot them from below, in that case, you pretty much need the sniper rifle. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that about covers Erebus Reactor. On my scale of how much of an arena is that, I would say that is another pretty classic arena. Uh, It is... The the level of structures in it, I think, definitely convolutes things, and so maybe I would give it a B uh, on the scale versus an A, just because there is a lot of... Like, where did this enemy come from? Uh, Where did someone go? Uh, Like, there are a lot of hiding places. uh, And not in the way of, like, having darkness where you know exactly where an enemy is. Or you know broadly where an enemy is, but you just can't see it exactly. In this case, they'll vanish on you. (laughs) And uh, you need to... Wait till them to wait for them to show themselves again, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but d- definitely, it in the it, it fits this pattern of uh, types of maps that Dusk do, whether or not in the grand scheme of first person shooters or football games or whatever, <laughs> it is perfectly an arena. Uh, it is a very characteristic example of this type of dust map and again just like into the thrasher and dead of night is good as well but i think erebus reactor is one of the best maps in the game it's a really fun one to replay uh definitely one you know when i play through on duskmare some maps are like just really frustrating and not fun at all some are really fun and dust this is one that is worth playing on duskmare uh because it makes it a lot more fun uh, yeah this is a, a super dynamic map. Yeah, and this, to me, this map is a great example of what Quake is not. Like, in, you know, you can say Quake has arenas or whatever, and we talked about in the previous podcast about the number of elements, basically, that Dusk can have versus Quake. Dusk can have dozens of enemies active at a time. Quake can have about four. And this is the type of map you just can't do in Quake or in the original Quake as designed for the hardware at the time. Obviously, you know, source ports, fan maps, etc. have totally different limitations. But like that scale of dynamic action, all these elements in play uh, and the distances that you could take advantage of, the height differences and everything are something that just doesn't exist in Quake. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's very much part of why it makes it a characteristic Dusk style of play. And, you know, maybe it relates more to Doom 2, but the mechanical differences between Dusk and Doom 2 are so significant that, you know, you certainly can't say it's the same 
gameplay. Yeah, yeah that's something yeah. I, ga- I got to appreciate more replaying Dusk um, in the interim between this podcast and the last. Um, and replaying some Doom and Doom 2 levels is... Um, yeah, having those larger arenas uh, in a Quake engine feels... I mean, yeah, that it, that is a distinct statement that I wish uh, we'd identified more clearly in the first podcast. Mm-hmm. The, just because height differences have such a different meaning in Doom. Like, it's not that... Uh, like it's bad because you can't look up or that it's like less dynamic or something like that. It's just, it has a different meaning entirely being on a different height from an enemy because of the fact that you can't look up um, and you're just not on equal footing the same way that you are in Dusk. Um, right. It's it's a a lot of mechanical difference. Like the the fact that Jumping, no, no jumping, no ladders, no jump pads. So just like your ability to ascend vertically in Doom is already way pared down compared to uh, the level design that can be done in Dusks. Um, and yeah. and like I said when we were talking about Into the Thresher, Dusk's weapons are much more of like a long range versus short range dichotomy, whereas Doom's weapons aren't really balanced that way. It's kind of got different stuff going on. I mean, in Doom, your sniper rifle is a shotgun. That in and of itself. <laughs> Tells you yeah. how different Doom is weapon-wise from you know, Dusk and, uh, and the rest of later first-person shooters. <laughs> right, and then there's just a simple engine engine limitations to the the 3Dness that you can do in those setups in Doom versus Dusk, which is the fact that Doom can't do like room over room, and you can't sh- shoot infinitely far in Doom either. You know, stuff can be out of range. Oh yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, and another thing here, though, we talked about these large 3D open-air arenas, but something that is, for better or worse, missing for the most part in Dusk, and actually uh, it's a little bit of a shame we didn't get to talk about any arenas that have them, is flying enemies. Uh, Flying enemies, of course, are a very big deal in Doom and Doom 2, uh, and not as much Quake... Um, there's just the screes or whatever they're called. Yeah, and they're not like the most dangerous enemy. Um, but these enemies in uh, these stages in dusk uh, that we talked about didn't have any flying enemies, and that means that the floor geometry is all the more important and all the more of a leveling agent between the player and enemies because you are in that same. You know, you both are reliant on the fans to get between levels, and you uh, you and the enemy both need to go around buildings the same way. Whereas, when you have a map that's loaded with Caco Demons, or, uh, you know, drones in Duke Nukem 3D, uh, those things really change the pressure points in an arena. Um, so that is something that allows these parts of dusks to I just think that the geometry matters a lot more when you don't have enemies flying around everywhere mm-hmm. right because <clears throat> you know where the the enemies are gonna you know where the enemies are gonna be yeah I mean you and the enemies are on the same path I guess I said it well enough already right 
And I guess even, like, like what's the closest... The closest analog so far I've been able to think with Quake is, I think, maybe Ziggurat Vertigo. Um, but even then, yeah. it's like, because of the floatiness... And it's also... Even then, it's also still not that big. So it's... It, it, my impression was it forms more of, like, a complex shooting gallery than necessarily that, uh, you know, uh, chasing around, uh, choosing where I'm going to go next to gain a, a positional advantage on my enemy where I risk being flanked or whatever. That that didn't happen. Right. But Ziggurat Vertigo actually is an interesting point of comparison. And not. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's not something I thought of. It's definitely right. the gameplay it, itself totally different because it's all about the fact that you're stuck in the air, basically. Yeah. In Ziggurat Vertigo. But that is a very, you know, because I struggled to think of any Quake maps that were really vertically oriented. And that is, is definitely an instance of one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's too bad they didn't come up with jump pads until like Quake Three. <laughs> Actually, I've never played Quake Two, so I, I, I'm ignorant, but I'm guessing on that point. Uh, I'd have to think for a minute about where jump pads show up first. <clears throat> but yeah, it's not till a little bit later than Quake. Mm-hmm. So I think that that wraps up our discussion of arenas in dusk or um just basically the, the combat layouts of dusk yeah um so i'm not sure what the subject is going to be next time um yeah i'm not really gonna say any more about it because i i have to think about it um but we are going to continue with another podcast on dusk uh this was a great discussion we had tonight um, mm-hmm. and so I'm looking forward to continuing with Dusk. Yeah, same here. Yeah. All right. Uh, if no one has any final thoughts, we'll wrap it up. Cool. Works for me. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining me. Thanks for listening. Good night.